Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. I'm going to be bringing a message saying goodbye, but when I text Andy this title, I told him this is not my farewell message and that maybe he needed to note that on the slide. I do not want that misunderstood, uh, but I do want to share with you this message tonight about saying goodbye. And, and this is a very personal, personal farewell that Paul gives to some folks that he really deeply loves. You know, we have been talking uh, about the gospel and it going forth. And all throughout these weeks that we've looked at the book of Acts, we've talked about how the gospel triumphs over every barrier. It doesn't matter what comes against the gospel. It doesn't matter what challenges that the gospel will face. The gospel just keeps going. And that's, that's the beauty of this. You read Dr. Luke's work and you see that, that the mission, the ministry of God, it just continues. No matter what tries to come against it, no matter what tries to stop it, we're reminded that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And the church just go, goes forth. And uh, here in this passage, though, you see how the gospel is personal, how the gospel is relational, how Paul, after teaching and preaching at the church there at Ephesus, how just being with them day and night, how he had come to love them and uh, value the relationship that he had with them. So here's a goodbye that he gives them. I want you to see this beginning in verse 17. It says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So here's Paul. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's trying to get there by the day of Pentecost. We're told by other passages that he's trying to get there in particular to deliver this offering that the Gentile churches have put together. In other words, to bring unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. And to help them in their time of need, he's trying to get to Jerusalem. But in his process, he wants to talk to his friends, his loved ones, the leadership of the church at Ephesus. It says he calls them to Miletus. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Let's stop there for a moment. Paul calls these Ephesian elders together to say goodbye. Have you ever had to say goodbye to somebody before and you knew it would be some length of time, maybe, maybe that you wouldn't see them again for quite a while or, or at all? It was very difficult to say goodbye. 
Sometimes it's hard to say goodbye when you know that you'll see them just in a, in a few weeks or in a few months. Some of you just had holidays and, and you probably had people in and you were probably other places as well. And it's kind of hard to say to your family, hey, we'll see you later. Sometimes. I heard one guy this morning, a grandparent here in our church, he said, you know what? The best Christmas lights that I see are the tail lights of the cars when they leave, he said. So maybe you're like that. Maybe there's some goodbyes that aren't too bad for you. But you know, there are others it's very difficult to say goodbye. I remember when I moved down to Millsaps College in Jackson, and uh, that was a tough transition for me. Moving from North Mississippi, uh, where I'd always been around family, and understand my family is one of these that they would classify as enmeshed. Does that make sense to you, some of you? At least I think that's the way they, that my psychologist somehow diagnosed it in my life when I went for treatment after dealing with it my family. But it, they were enmeshed, enmeshed. That is that they're all kind of there. Three of my siblings, they are still there. They live, two of them live where my mama can see them right out the window. And one lives about a mile away. So they're all there. So it's very difficult. Sometimes still very difficult for me to leave up there and tell the folks bye. But I remember when I was going to college in Millsaps, it, it was tough. I think it may, be, may have been maybe the second time in my life that I ever saw my dad shed a tear. Second time. Because it was kind of like we're taking him, dropping him off, and we're never going to probably see him again. Or you know what? He's probably going to end up in Louisiana, and it'll be bad news, you know, or so. But I remember those, those goodbyes and the, those tearful times. Obviously, you know, for us as pastors and for churches, there are times when you say goodbye. Uh, for me in my life, I've, I've said that I have pastored some of the best churches, best churches that you could find on the face of this earth. I have been so blessed, Leslie and I have been. I hear some of my friends who talk about their churches and how difficult they were and how they were so proud to get out. We never had those moments. We had four churches that we pastored, that we loved, that we loved dearly. And when God sent us somewhere else, it ripped our hearts out. I have described it before as being violently ripped. It's what I felt like from the people that I loved. And yet, those moments come. So when I read this, and hopefully when you read it, you can hear that personal connection, that love that Paul had for this church. And remember, it was at Ephesus where he invested most of his life and most of his ministry, at least mission-wise. I mean, ministry-wise. Remember, it was in Ephesus. He had stayed like two years, and that was unheard of. I mean, Paul moved on. Paul was one of these who would plant a church and get it going and then move. But at Ephesus, he had stayed for months. He had built the relationships. It was at Ephesus that they had seen the hostility come, just like they had in other cities. But it was at Ephesus that there were so many who had turned against Paul and his associates because the gospel just kept growing. And they kept seeing the maturity of believers. And remember, it was there that the gospel worked out of their lives in such a way that it affected what they bought, how they worship, 
how they live daily. And those that it affected economically, they were pushing back against Paul and the gospel and everything that they could. So Paul had, Paul had been there. So, so here he is saying goodbye to them. And notice what he says. I, I think it's kind of two-part here. I think first, Paul says, you know me. And then second, he says, and I know you. So I want you to see how that fleshes out. First of all, he says, you know me. I love this about Paul. Paul is transparent. Paul is like, this is who I am. You, you've known me. Notice in verse 18, he says, when I came into you that very first day and how I've continued to live before you, you know what manner I've always conducted myself. You know that. You can look at my example, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me, how I kept nothing back that was helpful. He says, you know how I have lived before you. And look, if you read the letters of Paul, oftentimes they will challenge his apostleship, different churches. They will challenge his apostleship. They will challenge whether or not. And so often Paul has to come back and say, hey, did you look at my witness? Did you know who I was when I was there? I, at certain moments, he would say that I made sure that I was working in other ways so that I would not be dependent upon you. I wanted to make sure that my life and my conduct was worthy of Christ Jesus, and I wanted to remove any type of suspicion you would have of me. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? I'm going to say to you that if you can state to somebody else, you know who I am and you know my godly example, that that's a tremendous witness if you can do that. And you ought to be able to do it, shouldn't you? If you're going to share the gospel with somebody, if you're going to tell them about Christ Jesus, then your life ought to reflect Christ Jesus. It shouldn't just be a verbal witness. Our witness should be a daily witness of example of who we are in Christ. There should be no division between our verbal testimony and our lifestyle witness. Too often, we allow those things to get disconnected. But that is not God's intention for our lives. And Paul says, you know me. You know how I've lived. You know the manner in which I've conducted myself. Humility, even when the trials came, I kept going. And notice he says, you also know what I've said, what I've taught. Not only lifestyle, but yes, the verbal witness. He said, I kept nothing back that was helpful. Get back to that in a moment. He says, I proclaimed it to you. I taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews, also to Greeks. It didn't matter who came in contact with. I wanted to share the gospel with them. I preached repentance. I preached faith. Later on, verse 27, he said, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Love that verse. The whole counsel of God, all of it. Two years. Two years, he said, I've been able to 
put together the whole council. Now, see, it's challenging for me because I just made two years, and I ain't even made it through the book of Acts yet. So I'm like, Paul, oh, oh what it was, Paul, you... I mean, you didn't just have Sunday services, Paul. You had some Monday sessions and Tuesday sessions. I mean, he says, the whole council, it doesn't matter what it was. He said, I wanted to preach to you and teach what God would want you to hear and to be transformed and changed. One of the reasons, look, one of the reasons I like preaching through books, for example. One is that I believe all of it's God's word. Every word that's there was God inspired, okay? So I believe that we ought to look at the whole of the revelation of God. Another reason is because sometimes it forces us as preachers to deal with passages and subjects that we may not want to deal with in our own way, in our own timing. In other words, I hate to tell you, but there are some hobby horses that I have. You probably don't. But I've got some hobby horses. I've got some things that, man, I, if, if I were just left to my own devices, I, I probably would come in here and I would preach some of the same things every week. Some of you probably say, you do. You do every. But when you're working through the Scripture, and you're confronted with certain subjects and certain passages, you have to deal with that. And to me, it brings the whole counsel of God, not just, not just those things we want to talk about, but some of the things that need to be talked about. And I'm afraid that in too many of our churches today, what we have done is just cherry-pick the things we want to talk about instead of hearing a steady diet of God's revelation and his instruction on every issue that the scripture touches upon. And this is what Paul says. Paul says, I have not shunned to preach the whole counsel of God. Everything that I could bring to you, every subject that I could address with you, I've attempted to do. He said, I testify to you this day. That I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Oh, for us to be able to reach a point in our lives that we could say, you know me. You know how I've lived. You know how I've shared with you a godly witness. And look, I know Paul, missionary preacher, listen, that could be all of us in this place. To know that we could get there one day by the help of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to carry forth such a witness. But then he turns around and he says, and I know you. I know you. Verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He basically says, God has called you to the leadership of that church. To the church at Ephesus. Now we do know obviously. That Timothy will be very involved. In the work at the church at Ephesus. But Paul recognizes that these individuals. Many of those will be right there. And they'll be part of that leadership. And he, he, he really addresses that. 
them. He pours himself into them at this point, And he challenges them. I think that's so important. I think that is so important that there are those within the church that are challenged to step up and to lead and to do what God calls them to do. Um, a lot of times, the lead pastor will move on and do something else. Not this one, but a lot of them do that. And it's very important, very important that there are people that are challenged with the Word of God to continue on. So important. Verse 28, in particular, I think addresses something about the leadership. I, I think all of these that he's called are, are fulfilling some pastoral role. Okay? So, so let, me, let me address this. In a Baptist church, typical Baptist church, okay? In our Baptist faith and message, we say that we believe in two offices in the church. Two offices. The office of pastor and deacon. There you go. Three of you listening tonight. Pastor and deacon. Those two offices. So there are all these kind of discussions about other things, about should you have an elder, should you have a bishop, should you have all this other. We just simply say there are the pastors and the deacons. But notice here where I think these individuals are fulfilling pastoral roles, leadership roles. And actually, the word that's used for elder is also going to be, uh, well, it's also going to be used of these individuals. The word that's used for bishop, the word that's used for shepherd, all for these individuals. All those words come together. I see that excites some of you. What I'm saying to you is that all three of these words that we sometimes fuss about, they all refer to the leadership that's there in Ephesus. They're the elders. They're the elders. Elder. Greek word, presbyteros. You ever heard of a word that sounds like presbyteros? None of you ever were Presbyterians before you came into the Baptist church? We're failing a little bit if you're not. <clears throat> Presbyterians make good Baptists sometimes. Ask my daddy. Presbyteros, the elder form. Presbyterians, they have the elder kind of form of church government, if you will. They, they are the elders. The, and then you have the overseers. Greek word, episkopos. You heard of the Episcopalians? Overseers, right? So here the word is used, overseer of elders. And then the word shepherd, which is actually the word that refers to pastor. When we talk about pastor, we're talking about the shepherd, the one who's leading God. So here in this passage, actually, these individuals fulfill all three of those roles. It's kind of like you got a pastoral staff right here. And he speaks to him and he says, I know you. I know who you are and I know what you're capable of. And I know that you can fulfill your role. I know you can be a shepherd. I know you can be an overseer. I know you have the maturity of an elder. And he says, I know what you can do. And I challenge you to lead that congregation. Because what he's saying is 
that as you lead them, as you shepherd them, as you care for them, what's going to happen? Verse 29, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He says, I know when I go, there are going to be some wolves come in. And they're going to pretend to teach things and share things. But what they're going to do is try to destroy the church at Ephesus. And he says, you have some responsibilities. You have the challenge before you to shepherd and lead that congregation so that they are not at the whim of a destructive wolf that would come in. He says, I know who you are. And I know you can do this. And I challenge you to do it. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn every one night and day with tears. So he continued with them. He said, just know that I did not cease to warn you. And notice in verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend to you God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. They accompanied him to the ship. I say to you, this is a very personal, intimate moment that Dr. Luke shares with us about Paul's departure. Paul says, you know me, I know you. Three years. We've shared, we've learned. He said, now you have been charged with the leadership of this church. And after all these things, it says that they just kind of gather and they weep together. They weep together. And they sorrow Mostly because they feel like they'll never see Paul again. It was a tough day. I can only imagine. You know, I'm a somewhat of an emotional guy. You may not realize that sometimes, or but I can be. I'm keeping it together more lately than I have in the past, so you ought to give me some kudos for that, you know? But saying goodbye to people that you love, people that you've ministered with, people that you've shared your heart and life with is difficult. And I could sense the emotion in this passage. I could sense the pain not only for Paul but for the people. And yet, 
what God is going to continue to do in Ephesus. What God is going to continue to do in his church should remind us of the power and the triumph of God in the gospel. Could you imagine ever replacing Paul? No. Paul, you got him longer than any other church did. Any other moment. How in the world could we ever? But there'll be a young protege. His name be Timothy. Timothy. That Paul will have invested in. That he will have worked through Timothy. Who will take primary leadership. Who will bring those elders, those overseers, those shepherds along with him. And who will lead that church. Because this is the truth. Hey, this is one of my hobby horses you've heard me say. God can use one man. And that's a great truth. But God is bigger than one man. And we should never forget that. Our God will continue to work and fulfill his ministry and his purpose. In his own way. In his own time. We should always be reminded. We should be. We should always be reminded. That our God's bigger. And he is greater. And he is going to fulfill. His agenda. For us. This year. We put out this challenge this morning. About praying that God would multiply us. I said to you, at least at one point today, that I felt that that challenge was going to be very difficult. Very difficult. Especially when I thought about some of the outward missions component of how he would multiply what we're already doing. And I even kind of was thinking, God, how am I going to do that? How am I? God, I just don't see how that could be possible. And I will tell you that God has challenged me, first of all, with this passage tonight to say this. Reggie, this is bigger than you are. You just need to be reminded of that from time to time. I don't know about you, but God has to humble me from time to time, okay? So it's like God said, hey, you, you don't worry so much about this. You know, I got you. But it's not really about you. I've got this. And if this is the will that I have set forth, then I will fulfill it. And I'll do what I have determined that I will do. And I'm going to tell you what, that is liberating as a pastor and as a leader to know that God will continue His plan and His purpose, sometimes regardless of who we are, because His power is so much better than ours. I pray that we rest in that this year. And we do see the multiplication of our relationships, the upward, the outward, the inward. I pray that God would see us through and do great things. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. And Lord, we do just say tonight that we rest in you. We trust in you. This is so much bigger. What you're, what you're doing, your work is so much bigger than one person, one committee, one uh, ministry team, one Sunday school class. God, what you're doing is so much bigger 
And God, we pray that you would help us continue to see your vision for us, that grand vision, and that you would empower us to fulfill your will. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people sitting in this room tonight. And God, I pray that you would just grow us closer together and use us in a greater way with a greater impact than you ever have before. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand tonight as we have this moment of reflection and invitation?